0: Welcome to episode 82 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike, the last couple of weeks have been absolutely nuts in the latino media space and we should begin with gordita chronicles from eva longoria now understand that this is like this is the peak of the mountain for latino shows having eva longoria on it gordita chronicles on hbo max canceled then batgirl with a dominican leslie grace bachatera That even Kevin Feige had to call the directors of Badger and go, yo, dude, I am so sorry on behalf of the industry. They just shelved and canned the movie. A
1: $90 million film.
0: See, this is the power of these corporate heads. They can do whatever they want and no complaint or offense is going to stop them. And then finally, Mike, there's a Fidel Castro movie coming out. And instead of Fidel Castro being played by a Latino, James Franco was announced on the trade magazines that he was going to be doing Fidel Castro. And a lot ensued. And uh, (laughs) before we break this down, I just want to know, why do you think that this is happening to Latinos at this rate, man? And and this isn't a coincidence. Is this happening to the black community right now?
1: No. I think that. And, and keep in mind the notion of blackface brown face or yellow face it's a whole thing it's all uh, the faces let's not talk about identities that white actors can wear on film and it's not just that they portray these characters dude I was doing research for this conversation and I came across an article I'll, it's from 2016 okay I'm just gonna read the title of the article 100 times a white actor played someone who wasn't white.
0: Damn, that's a lot of times.
1: That's right. And they go back to 1915. So this has been going on for over 100 years. It's still going on.
0: Yeah, it's happening. And um, we want to take the time before we interview our featured guest today, David Castaneda from the Umbrella Academy, who, by the way, awesome interview. I mean, this dude is so much fun to just chill and hang with. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wasn't a, an Umbrella Academy fan. And then as soon as I started watching it for this interview, I, I'm a fan now,
1: Mike. Oh, dude. Well, I've been watching it. I had been watching it for the first two seasons. Now I'm in the third season. with, And they're they're clearly having a lot of fun with the show. But no, he was a great interview. And, and I think part of our conversation that we're, we're framing this to talk about is that question Okay, what is the future for representation, especially Blacks and Latinos? The thing that stood out most to me about all of the James Franco casting was what the producer said. His quote in The Hollywood Reporter was John Leguizamo's criticism of James Franco. His comments are culturally uneducated.
0: Let's get to it. goal for this conversation is to find out who has the right to play what kind of roles in Hollywood. Should an actor's ethnicity, race or nationality align with the character? You know, some have argued, Mike, that artistic freedom and skills should be the guiding principle. But Mike, why don't we begin <laughs> with the root of this whole problem, Fidel Castro. That is what the most
2: of Cuba say, you know, and they cannot do anything, public opinion is powerful in Cuba and nobody can opposite public opinion in this time. What I do is to be with the public opinion that have a uh, confidence in our movement and in myself.
1: What I think is interesting about Fidel Castro is not just that he's getting portrayed on film, it's because of who he is and what his relationship was with this country. He was a revolutionary and a politician, and he was the leader of Cuba from 1959 to 2008. That's very significant, how Hollywood reframes, recaptures, or in many times reimagines history, and then how people are affected by it. People don't know who fidel castro was so much but they know who james franco is
0: exactly which now brings us to another rant by john leguizamo (laughs)
2: all right look i got no problems with james franco yo okay so y'all just calm down i i grew up in an era where latin people couldn't play latin people on film where Charlton Heston played a Mexican, where Eli Wallach played Mexican, where Pacino played Cuban and Puerto Rican, where Ben Affleck even in Argo played a a Latin guy, and Marisa Tomei played Latin women, and and we couldn't play our own roles. Even there was brown face, you know, people painting themselves to look Latin, and in West Side Story, Eli Wallach in The Wild Bunch, that's the era I grew up in, the era where They told you to change your name, stay out of the sun, that only white Latinos or white passing Latinos would get jobs. And they weren't even the main leads because every time you ask for a main lead, they go, but there's no Latin actor who can carry that movie. Yeah, because you're never given the opportunity to play anything that was of worth, that had worthy value, that was of integral part of the plot that could give you box office. So, no, no, uh, uh, appropriating our stories, no, no more of that. Uh, I, uh, I'm I done with that. You know, um, why why can't Bruno Mars be Mr. Hernandez or Oscar Isaac these days be Oscar Isaac Hernandez? Cause they can't, I mean, I've been told so many times, we can't have two Latin people in the movie. Otherwise people think it's a Latin movie and you know how, whatever, however you want to finish that, you know, or, or Latin people don't want to see Latin people. They want to see white people in roles. It's like, that's what I've been told. So that's what goes on in this industry. And and it should be a play, equal playing field. We should all be able to play whatever role, but that's not the way it works. It only goes one way. Okay, that's that's just how it is.
1: Now, here's what's fascinating about that: John Leguizamo, who is the author of a play. Called Latin History for Morons.
0: Which I saw on Broadway like two or three times and was on, and I think it's still on Netflix, and I've seen that like another two times. It's an incredible like encyclopedia of Hispanic history.
2: What happened in the 3,000 years between our great indigenous civilizations and us? How did we become so goddamn non existent? Because if you don't see yourself represented outside of yourself, you just feel. Fucking invisible. So, yo, I had good reason to panic because as the great 20th century Spanish philosopher Santana once said, (laughs) oh, no, 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 not Carlos, George, George, (laughs) who said, those who cannot remember their past are doomed to repeat it, coño.
1: But the producer of Alina of Cuba, his response to John Leguizamo's criticism Front page of The Hollywood Reporter. His quote is, his comments are culturally uneducated.
0: So what that sounds to me is a dude that has investor money and is trying to save his project and is willing to go out and defend it and die on that flag just to try and make sure that he can degrade John Leguizamo but save his movie. Yeah, Beautiful. Very interesting. Now, the whole film, for the most part, is Hispanic, Mike. This is why this shit makes no sense. So Fidel Castro is clearly Cuban. The name of the movie is Alina of Cuba. And it's written by Jose Rivera. Now, if you guys don't know who Jose Rivera is, just go watch The Motorcycle Diaries. And then you'll know who he is. He's Puerto Rican. And it's also co-written by Nilo Cruz who's a Pulitzer Prize winner in 2003 for Anna in the Tropics that ended up going to Broadway. Jimmy Smith starred in it. I was there in the audience to see it. And then Ana Villafañe, who played Gloria Stefan on on my feed on Broadway, is playing Alina. The only one who's not Hispanic and playing a Hispanic is James Franco. That is absolutely insane. And I think what that has caused is this outrage by other people, like Bill Maher, who went to town on this casting issue with John Leguizamo.
3: James Franco was just chosen to play Fidel Castro and John Leguizamo posted, no more appropriation, boycott, this is fucked up. I don't got a problem with Franco, but he ain't Latino. Okay, but John Leguizamo is Colombian American.
1: He ain't a Venetian, but he played one.
3: He ain't a French little person. (laughs) Or an Italian plumber, but he played them too, because
2: he's...
3: (laughs) Because he's an actor. Why the hell do you think people become actors?
0: Because they want to spend their life not being who they are. So, Mike, there are essentially two arguments here, right? There's the John Leguizamo argument going, yo, he's not Latino and he shouldn't be playing Latinos and then you got Bill Maher going but why can you play everybody else except James Franco can't do the same and I wanted to kind of tackle these two issues right here but is there any truth to you that what Bill is saying is true well here's
1: the thing when you compare two things that really shouldn't be compared I feel like you know there's a very specific term for that but it's done often in in matters of race when white people say they've they've experienced racism. You know, I've had people tell me everybody's racist. You know, you know, Bill Maher's just latched onto what I've seen all over social media. Like that, literally the day after this news broke, that well, John Legozamo played a whole bunch of things. The, the huge difference here is okay, John Leguzamo got the opportunity to play roles where he was not pigeonholed. That's great. But Rita Moreno had to make a career of playing everything but what she was because there were no other people. The, the, the difference here is context. The difference is context of what it is to be a Latino actor in an industry that has spent a 100 years having other people play you versus being in a white actor, you know, who has played who can play anything they want whenever they want and tons of roles. It's not, oh, wow, look, they've they finally cast someone different as, you know, it's not Lawrence Olivier in blackface playing Othello, a black actor played him. There's a huge difference in my opinion.
0: But then how do you explain this? Fidel Castro's daughter, real daughter, Alina Fernandez, has already said that James Franco has an obvious physical resemblance with Fidel Castro besides his skills and charisma. She's also proud that everybody's pretty much Latino. Why, does this, why can't he be the exception if he looks like him, has his charisma, has the same speaking skills, and is a movie star? Look, Here's my opinions on this, okay? Number one, I agree with everything you're saying because that's pretty much what we all know. That underrepresentation exists because of shit like this, James Franco. John says this all the time. We're 20% of the population, yet our speaking roles are less than 6% on screen on Hollywood. And this isn't a fucking opinion, folks. This is fact. This is historical fact. This is shit that goes on back to the beginning of this century. Even more. We go more to every Hispanic or every movie, every blockbuster movie, we are the number one movie going audience. We pay more for movies than whites, blacks, or anybody else. That's how much we love movies. So how is it possible that we can't get ourselves On screen after the amount of contributions that we do, not only to Hollywood to fill up those fat paychecks for those executives, they take us for granted, Mike. So Bill wasn't saying that. And then white people, of course they can play anyone, Bill. They created the industry. They created the medium, at least commercially. We've never really been a part of it. You've been playing our people forever. Where's the video of Al Pacino playing Scarface, a Cuban? Where are all those people in your segment? The reason we bitch, it's because imagine you have an open wound and all somebody does is put their finger right in it. You just want us to shut up. You just want us to be quiet, do what you got to do, stay in your lane, and just, we don't want to hear from you we want to make our money, but we want to do it peacefully and happily. And you're messing that up because you're, you're talking about prejudice. That's exactly it, Mike. It's prejudice.
1: I agree, obviously, because you're, you're even expounding upon where I'm coming from. But I also think, it's also how you handle such a thing. You know, <clears throat> to not acknowledge, and this is coming back to privilege, you have the privilege, if you're white or if you're white passing, you have the privilege to not have to acknowledge certain realities about being a Latino or representation you know sure if we want to get into the specifics i mean clearly Javier Bardem has been treading these waters about the roles he's played and and his response is is somewhat dismissive and okay his brother's directing this film and you've got a team of people it also shows unfortunately the ways in which, from where I'm sitting, Latinos are not united. To be Latino and not acknowledge where these people, it's one thing to defend it. It's another thing to, to insult somebody like John Leguzamo, call him culturally uneducated. It's, that's just so inappropriate and ridiculous. And forget him saying it. Bill Maher, who I have zero respect for anyway, he is representative of that larger context of how people see this issue. It's like, oh, shut up. You know, you've had your chance to play something. So let us continue doing what we're doing. That's kind of how I see it.
0: Look, I think at the end of the day, the actor, whether they're Hispanic actors or any actor, the worst profession in Hollywood, in my opinion, is the fucking actor. That level of of rejection has to create, Mike, some sort of depression, mental health issues. Because you're seeing as a piece of meat, but you accept it and surrender to that notion, to that business model. Actors have to go through a lot of shit to get a job. So because of that, they're desperate to play any role that can put food on their table, man. Sometimes it's not about the fucking craft. Sometimes it's just strictly about survival. You're willing to play anybody. So Hispanics will play gangsters and everything for decades because there's no other roles. But they love acting. And if this degrades them, so be it. But I put food on my table from honest work. And what do you think the point of an actor is? It's to always inhabit the body, the existence of another person. It's what Bill said. And so I thought there was an interesting argument there. And how would actors feel if you told them, hey, by the way, you're white, blue eyed and have uh, brown hair, but you can't play white people who have blonde hair. That's a whole other subset of actors that are being ignored by you. Right. An actor will tell you I can play whatever the fuck I want. Every actor will tell you, I can play Chinese, I can play Indian, I can play whatever the hell I want, because my skill is so good that you will believe me as an Indian. You will believe me as a Latino. And Mike, at what point do you question that skill
1: it's not the skill that's being questioned it's the playing field that's not level you can't apply the same rules if the playing field's not level you can't say okay uh this white actor can play anything they want And as a Latino, you're only going to get these parts unless you can pass for Italian and you're Andy Garcia. And then you can play Italians until people accept you as being more than just, quote unquote, whatever Latino.
0: But what about Lou Diamond Phillips and La Bamba? He's Native American playing a Latino, but no one's fucking ever in the history of this filmmaking country ever said anything about that
1: okay but i'll tell you something else i'll tell you why because let's for a second look at native americans if you want to talk about representation how have they been represented by hollywood probably worse than us exactly and countless countless times been played by by white men and then when they were
0: so minority can play another minority but a white person can't play a minority in any way
1: again what playing field are we talking about the new prey movie it did so well That they're going to give an apology to Sachin Littlefeather, who was completely disrespected and blacklisted from Hollywood just because she stood up to protest uh, an industry that already the person who sent her had benefited from, Marlon Brando, by playing multiple uh, other roles. He played Asian, Latino. He played whatever he wanted because he's a white actor and he had that privilege. It's a very different thing.
0: I understand privilege. I'm talking about every other struggling white actor that has been offered by a white director to play a non-white role. The white director tells his white actor friend, hey, man, I know you're struggling. We got this Hispanic, you know, one. But, you know, Hispanics are kind of white anyway. So just play him. Uh, his last name is Hernandez. And, and you know, we'll we'll throw you... $5,000 for the rule. How is that actor going to say, no, I'm not going to do it? It's not a question of whether the actor would say
1: no. It's a question of whether or not the producer would let that happen and that the director thought it was okay.
0: Right. So what I'm saying is don't attack the actor. Attack the producer.
1: Okay. In this case, the producer attacked the actor. Okay. The producer of the film attacked John Leguizamo.
0: Why don't we talk about the real issue here? which is the business, what you were talking about, the industry issue here. And I think that that's the problem with people going into this business. That there's this romance that it's first about the art, and then it's about the business. And then everybody's shocked when they find out, holy shit, this is a business? So uh, to me, I have to attack the following thing, Mike, okay? This Alina Fernandez woman wants to get her movie made. She's most likely a producer on the film as well. Mike, you've produced films. You've directed films you've been in films what would you not do to save your movie and then the the investors going well i don't like uh juan carlos
1: hernandez playing fidel castro he's occupying a lot of screens i mean i don't know who the fuck juan carlos hernandez is but listen he's the perfect he's the best suited person for this role yeah but i can't sell him in fucking india i can't sell him in china I'm definitely
0: not going to sell him in, you know, in Scotland. So then what about James Franco? Oh, yeah, I can sell that any day. He looks like him. They're both white, right? Yeah, skin color white.
1: And they both got the beard. Can he do like a Hispanic accent? I'm sure he's an actor. He can do a Hispanic accent. All right, do it. We got our guy. And then if in case they say anything about the movie, 99 other percent of the whole film is Hispanic.
0: So take that, assholes. That's what happened. That's what they said, Mike. That was the thinking behind this whole thing. They thought they could get away with it. And the question is, do we trash all of the work that these Hispanics have done? Nilo, Jose, Miguel, Ana Villafañe, a Hispanic story, crew, cast, over this?
3: your home
2: what are you talking about this is the umbrella academy this is the sparrow academy Shit.
0: when we jumped here we created a time paradox our little paradox brought forth a freaking Kugelblitz. blitz what
2: the hell is a Kugelblitz?
0: blitz essentially we're screwed <laughs>
1: What you just heard was the trailer for the Umbrella Academy. It's a TV series on Netflix, and it's in its third season now. And it's based on a comic book series of the same name by Gerard Way. But this is, if you're into comic books, this is a Dark Horse comic. And Dark Horse comics are always unique, filled with weird characters who maybe are remind you of characters you've met before in other more traditional comic companies. But Umbrella Academy is definitely about A bunch of misfits. And David Castaneda plays a very unique and specific misfit who is got
0: away with
1: knives. Guns are persistent, real men throw knives.
0: Well, one of the things I'm most looking forward to sharing with our audience uh, for this interview is that David exclusively told us about his opinions of Batgirl in specific. Uh, being canned and shelved and then we also asked him if umbrella academy was going to be renewed for season four what it was like working with genesis rodriguez what it's like to be a superhero and we have his answer in our interview
1: Okay, we are here with actor David
3: Castaneda, who plays Diego on the Umbrella Academy. Welcome to Brown and Black. Oh, thank you very much for having us. I appreciate you guys taking time on your busy schedules to accommodate a fellow thespian.
0: So Mike said David Castaneda, but I'm Latino, so I go David Castaneda. True to that enny. How do you like it? Because by the way, this has happened with Zoe Saldana too. It's Zoe Saldana? which at every Univision interview that I did with her, it's Zoe Saldana. But then all of a sudden, these whiteies were like, no, we got to remove that tilde. It's Saldana. And she's, it's Saldana. So where are you with the Nieda or Neda?
1: Now, wait, before you answer, Jack read my mind, okay? He read my mind because I was going to ask you, at what point in your career did you decide to put the accent and make sure it was there? when they give you
3: the credit, because you didn't always have- No, my, it's funny. It all depends if I've had breakfast in the morning. That's the difference. If I've had a full meal, the tilde is optional. If I haven't had any food, I'm like, yo, <laughs> where's my heritage? Where's my recognition as, a, <laughs> as as my grandfather and all these things. So I have two last names, right? Latinos, we have two last names. We have father's last name, mother's. So I'm Castañera Nunez. So I have two tildes in my last names. Being in Mexico when I was growing up, it was Castaneda Nunez all the time. And coming to the United States, it was like, it was just easier to just let people, I just wanted people to be my friends.
0: But hold on a second, come on, man. Why allow yourself to be dictated by these peeps, man, as opposed to just being you and go, yo, this is how you pronounce it. Oh man,
3: at that point, I just wanted friends. I was 13 years old coming to the United States and I'm like, all right, like, what do kids like here? I'm like, all right, they like Fat Farm. They like Inichi. They like South Pole. They like, yeah, they like these brands. They like Sean John. And I was like, okay. They also like basketball, football, big sports. And and they're into massively into the dating game. So I was like, I need to get myself integrated in these things. But now, my my one of my closest friends, he's the one that said, would you like to have the till day back? And I was like, I've always had it. I've always had it but it's when you're going to these casting offices there I me mean, Castanza costume
0: <laughs> these bastards. Yeah, they just they
3: just chop it up and they butcher it. dude I would be so like I said it just depends on what state I am but most of the time I'm pretty like easy about it except when it's written down if they write it like uh, then I'm like I give like a nice little nudge I'm like hey just You wouldn't, Carlos Castaneda, you don't say, you don't say Carlos Castaneda, you say Castaneda, and you earn that through people's wanting to pay attention to you a little bit more, but you're, so Jack, you're Latino?
0: Yes, so my mom is from Colombia, so my whole family extension is basically Colombia, but then my mom and dad, my mom came to New York in Queens. In 1972, had me in 1974, so I'm Colombian-American, so I've been back and forth. So I'm pretty much bilingual. Like, I didn't forget my Spanish or anything. And I've worked at Univision Telemundo, so I've tried to keep that 50-50. And so that's that, that's my Latino heritage story. Yeah, what
1: about you, Mike? How, what's your? I'm not Latino, okay. But <laughs> my, I'm, I'm, I guess what you'd call, second generation West Indian. My family's West Indian, and I've lived in New York all my life. But one of the reasons Jack and I do, and it's called Brown and Black, is because we both love each other's culture. We both don't even understand why there's conflict. We both, it sounds corny, but we really, the unity is
3: part of why we do the show. That's beautiful, man.
0: In Mexico, we understand that there's a form of racism there. Clearly, you see Televisa and it's like white Mexicans, but then you have the real Mexicans. When you came to the United States, was race an issue? Was that a subject matter? Was that something that you were aware of? Or was it like, "Holy shit, something just struck me.:
3: How would I say this? A fish doesn't know that it's swimming in water. So like when you're so entranced of just a different culture in itself, you're not so focused on what's the pigment or the color of my skin and how is that affecting how other people view me. Because till the age of seven, I was being raised in Pico Rivera, East LA, San Gabriel Valley, moved to Mexico, and I'm in Mexico and this chubby, you know, light skinned Mexican and I'm there and they're calling me gringo. You know, a hey, gringo, gringo. And then I'm doing history classes and in history they're teaching us mm. about the Treaty of Santa Ana when part of Mexico was taken away to the United States and they're calling me land stealer. And I'm like, What are you talking? I'm i my my family is is from here and then so then I adapt or they get to know me and obviously I become part of the community but then I they pull me out I go back to the United States and the first thing I'm hearing from people is like a beaner or wetback and I'm like I'm American so it's if it messes with your mindset or my mindset at that point of being like oh no but this is my individual story not realizing that so many kids that are coming from Mexico to the United States are facing this thing that we usually tend to name things we don't know we we don't understand this so we're just going to call it something so we can put you in a box and I think the, the older I've gotten the more I understand that like you know I, I was having this conversation with my dad and and me and my dad we Become friends the older I've gotten. And I really appreciate that with my father, where I listen to him and he listens to me and we have a dialogue about things. But he said, It's interesting, depending on the car I have in Mexico, depend if someone opens the door for me or if someone puts me in the back of the parking lot. It's like, it's that pure classism in Mexico. And he's, and.
0: Pure classism. I I tell him,
3: I was like, Dad, you have to understand, those aren't the places you want to be around. It's not the places that, like, will really accept you for who you really wanna be. And I understand his way of thinking, cause he was like, "I this it's a whole system that I need to be able to thrive inside of it. And if I leave it, then there's almost like the unknown aspect of classism. And especially when you're trying to make money in Mexico or in the United States, you feel like I have to play a certain game. Um, I have to appear a certain way. I have to act a certain way because I've, it doesn't matter if the pigment of someone's skin, if someone's dressed like they have no resources, you're going to view them a different way than someone that comes with someone that's dressed very appropriately. It's and it And that's the thing that really messes with people's minds. So my own way of, I don't want to say my own way of, I want to contribute to this because I'm still learning in my own senses. I don't focus on those things. I don't want to focus on like the kind of shoes you're wearing or the kind of car you drive, or I want to focus on values. Like, how do you treat people? How are you with that sense? And, and if I see you acting up, then I just know you're in pain. I know that you're, and you're masking that with something else. And I have to
2: Mm.
3: not take that personal. Like, how are you, this is not going to affect me, but how can I serve you now? Uh, Of like my father being like, and I'd be like, I understand. You've lived like this for 58 years now. He comes from a very interesting background also. His, my grandfather was Chinese, came to Mexico. Yeah, started like doing opium farms because, you know, that's what they did back when people were coming in. They're trying to figure out how to do stuff. And my dad came from a very like business mind family that they were always looking of how do I one up the next person because it's a dog eat dog world out there.
0: David, you're Asian Latino.
3: Yeah, a little bit.
0: Oh shit, man!
3: About an eighth.
0: Because I saw your Instagram account, it said Wong, and I was like, "What's that part?" There's Wikipedia, everything does not mention it at all.
3: Yeah, my great grandfather comes from Canton. I love like my heritage of going from like really spicy ass food to then going like. <laughs> garlic and fucking like everything with like oil and shit. Like I want, I like in white rice. I fucking love that shit.
1: Man. Yes,
0: yes, yes. <laughs> That's the great thing about having different cultures, man. It's awesome. Definitely.
1: I have to ask you now a couple questions because you gave so much context and talk about who you are. I want to know how you went from studying civil engineering to acting, but I'm also curious What was your understanding of this business and how you'd be perceived as you, I want to know how you went from civil engineering to acting, and then what was your picture of that landscape?
3: When you are in a space of solitude, and especially when you, I lived in, when I lived in Mexico, it was very much like a very small town. And there's something about when there's less distractions that your mind just explodes in imagination right like you're just yes yes and even like they say this thing where like when on a day-to-day basis if you just go walk without your phone for 20 minutes you realize you have so many ideas and so many things that that you are not distracted from or away from and so when i was there in mexico and i had all these big ideas and big dreams but i obviously couldn't hone it to being like is there a world where i can explore these things, because in Mexico, the only thing that leads you to a, a profession in cinema is nepotism. You very much have to belong to a certain class or have a father or a mother or an uncle that is very high up and has these connections.
0: Nepotism babies.
3: Yeah. yeah. And so-and-so's daughter, or so-and-so's son, or so-and-so's nephew, and like next year they're like starring in a soap opera and things like that. When I went to the US, all my entire line of uncles, they were all in construction, mostly plumbers. I got to go on Sundays and Saturdays to go dig three foot holes and like 15 feet long in like random ass neighborhoods and like Monterey Park and Pico and, you know, Temple City or like the Beverly Hills of Mexico, which is like downy. And like you go to these (laughs) mansions and like, I'm there as like a 16 year old and my dad's like, all right, look, I need you to dig from here to there. And I'm like, dad, there's a sidewalk there. I can't dig so I'll figure it out. I'm going to go get some lunch. And uh, I'll be back in a few hours and this needs to be ready by the time I come back. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, like this is... <laughs> and so my dad would say those things and then he'd come back and be like civil engineers, they don't have to do any of that. And uh, and they make three mm. times or four times the amount of money I make. And so little by little, like they were telling me, as you're growing up, you want your parents' approval or the fatherly or motherly figure of your life, you want them to really approve of you. And because there was no one in my in my school or no one in my life that I saw that went into storytelling, it was just a fantasy. But I went to college. I started nibbling with like student film auditions. And I was like, oh, let me just try this and I'll try that. And I had to convince my parents to be like, hey, the civil engineering thing, I was two years in. And I was like, I, I feel like by the time I'm 30, I'll be very rich, but very depressed. I really need to do something else. <laughs> yeah. And they said, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I want to do theater. And they were like, okay, so we'll go do theater. Then. No, por favor, no, lo hagas. <laughs> Here's what's funny. Here's what's funny. They were like so, they were really against it. But what I did was like, I went and signed up for theater and I didn't tell them. I went and signed up for theater real quick and I did it for two weeks. And I was like, this is crazy. These people are nuts. And that's the first thing I thought I was like, they are so out there. I was like, I can't. Yeah. I can't keep up. Like the lingo, the language, they knew everything about Broadway and and all these plays. And I knew shit, jack shit. Like I knew about Mm. the matrix and Tarantino films and, uh, and maybe like dumb and dumber brush hour. (laughs) I knew all about brush hours. So I was like, but I didn't, I wasn't sophisticated enough. So I, I, I disenrolled from theater. I was there for a few weeks. I disenrolled. I was like, I can't do this. And then I went and was like, you know what? I really want to just tell stories. And I don't think I'm because everyone's so hot and like good looking and i was like i can't be that but i can tell stories i'm sure i can i have tons of ideas so i told my parents i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go to film production and i'm going to do business uh because they're all about money i'm gonna do business and they were like great oh, i like that and it was like international business and i was like oh wow international my dad <laughs> at that point was like my dad was like, at this point, he was working in plumbing. So all of it, he was about PVC pipes and cast iron and copper and all these things. He's like, if you import stuff from China, there's a lot of money there. There's $80,000 per shipping. And I was like, all right, well, now I'll, I'll go into import X for international business, dad. And my dad's like, that sounds good, Nico. That sounds good. Go do that. And it took me. Like not seven years to get my double major. Oh.
0: Wow, congratulations, David. Thank wow, you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: 2015, I graduated and then I was like, this dip- little diploma is for my mom. I was like, this is.
0: Yeah.
3: Because is- yeah. parents, man, like when they're coming from whatever they're coming from and they're, Im- and they're migrating to different places, all they want is like the best for their kids. And some parents, obviously, whatever tactic they use, it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I knew that. This was the dream that my parents wanted to live through me, which is a better education. That's all they wanted. And a better and, life, uh, period. And a better yeah. life, 100%. A better life. That's what every parent wants. Yeah, man. But I guess that, I don't know if that's that really answers the question that you said, Mike, about the perception of... It definitely answered the question as to how
1: you became an actor and how you, how that path opened up for you. Because it seems to me like you're going to be doing a lot more than acting. I think you've got a film in the can and you're, you're doing things. As a storyteller, I just wanted to know what you thought the landscape was like then and maybe then
3: where you see things going. I love where it's going. Growing up, I didn't really want to make it a thing because I'd still see myself through films. Even if I wasn't really aware that there weren't any Mexicans or Latinos, or to me, the only black person that was like, really like someone that I really wanted to emulate was like Samuel L. Jackson or Denzel. And maybe Lawrence Fishburne actually also was another one that I was really like looking up to. And Forrest Whitaker, actually now I'm there's a few more, but in terms of Latinos and and per se, it was like, who is out there? And now because the internet and streamers and everything, people are being more aware of this and we're benefiting from that. And that's not to say someone like Benjamin Bratt, who I saw in blood in blood out and in certain, uh, in certain Pinedo other films that like they were being put as like the only Hispanics or Edward James almost also now it's like, opening up and it's partially because of their presence actually not partially I want to give them more credit than that actually that I'm able to come in and be like all right like I want to break the stereotype now I have cousins who are gangbangers and I love them and I understand why they did it and I feel like there's a notion now that oh that's a stereotype but it's not really if it's told truthfully and authentically you can see that they're not gangbangers they're people that do these things to meet a necessity. And what that necessity is something that we all can relate to. And those are the aspects that I am starting to appreciate now when you're opening up to other ethnicities to come in and be their own heroes in their stories.
0: Speaking of, we go from gangbanger mentality and the authenticity of those characters much. There was another actor that I was talking about that I had spoken to, about a movie he did with Liam Neeson and he plays a cartel guy crossing the border to kill him. And he's, listen, there's this misconception that border movies are the stereotype, are like the garbage of Latino Hollywood. But if you've ever crossed the border, that's an adventure. That's like a story. That's like chaos. That's trauma. That is scarring. That is, if you can tell those stories uniquely and not the way maybe television shows portray it, like Breaking Bad or something of that nature then there is some humanity in that is worth telling, but not just recycled. And so when we go from that, David, to Diego Hargreaves' superhero, like, what the fuck? Like, the framing of that for your friends who are maybe starting out or who are still gang-banging roles, and you're here playing superheroes, how has that played for you in your industry and in your circles
3: i played so heavily against that if i'm honest with you at the beginning i didn't want that pressure i had friends being like you're like a latino superhero and i was like i don't want that i don't want that title because it's um you're branding me as something right now you're branding me as a package the same way when i came to mexico they're like you're a fucking beaner bro you're wetback you're like you're this you're that and i'm like i understand that there's two that there's a negative and a positive, but it's still in the same game. And so when someone says you're a Latino superhero, I first, when I first got the role, I was like, no, I don't want that. I was like, that's too much pressure. I just wanna play a person who has father complexity, who just wants to feel loved and feel valued and significance through his own position in the family dynamic. That's all I want. What people get out of it is none of my business you know what I mean? That is for everyone else to interpret. And now as I'm seeing the ripple effects that it's had, it's, it is, I've allowed it to seep into my heart. I went to see an early screening of bullet train a few days ago. And this little kid, he's little, he was Latino. It was his whole family. And he was, he might've been like 10 or 11. And he just, he was there and he's waiting in line and he looks up to me. He does a double tick. He goes, And he just looks at me and I just, and I keep, and I just go stare and I just give him a wink and he just goes (laughs) and he just looks down. And and the whole time I could just see his kid being like, and I remember having those moments as a child of seeing someone. I'm like, I know that person. And I still remember those moments. And I'm like, Oh, those are, that kid is able to see himself hopefully in what I'm able to do now. And maybe that kid or any other kid will be able to feel like they, were able to get over that hurdle. I can get over that hurdle and go even further than this guy's gone. Yeah, and I guess it was ego, I think at the end of the day. It was, at the beginning it was ego, I was like, fuck that. I don't wanna be no fucking superheroes. <laughs> like, nah, nah, nah. I was like, and I'm like, now nah, I'm gonna be the fucking first Mexican-American to win a fucking Oscar. Like, I don't, want no, no, I don't wanna be no superhero bullshit. And now I'm like, actually, Nah, man, like, I just want to, I want to, like, lead by example. That's all I want, like, now. I want to be the man that I, that I want to see in other people. That's it. I have to ask you now, Jack was leading into what playing Diego's done for your
1: career, and I'm, and you say now you've let it into your heart. I'm wondering, what is the experience for you of going to a Comic Con where? You know, now it's a it's like going to another world. So tell me a little bit about that, and were you into comics at all as a kid?
3: No, I was into superhero stories and stuff. I really like Spawn, and I like Blade, and I like. Funny enough, I didn't really care about Superman, like the Christopher. But it was funny. Like I love Blade. I don't know. It was like you know. I remember watching Blade. at like in '97, and it was
0: cool, man.
3: It was great. And my parents snuck in Blade because they started watching it at midnight when I was asleep because it was too violent. And I I remember I was sleeping on the floor in Mexico and I remember just like cracking my, and they was just like techno. And I remember this one guy kissing one girl and they were like, what are they doing? What is the other girl doing to his pants? I was like, this is fascinating. But when I opened and stuff, so I didn't say anything. I just just played dead. But I watched the whole movie like this, and i will be like, "This movie's amazing." And then the next day, I was like, "What were you guys watching last night?" They're like, "Oh, nothing. We were. What are you talking about?" I was only into those things. So when I was introduced to Comic Con, it's crazy, man. For a fan, I couldn't. I can't even. I can barely do swamis. You know what I mean? Or like, I think white people call them. Uh, or not white people, I don't wanna say that. I think very rich people call them farmer's markets. But in my neighborhood, we call them swamis, where you just have, it's all <laughs> Latinos and like just people just coming in and like people are bargaining and stuff like that. But point is that Comic-Con is very reminiscent of that kind of environment. It's like, everything's just and everyone's moving and you're going from stand to stand. But as a performer, when you're going in there, I it was by opening. I didn't realize how much of a fan base the Umbrella Academy had. It was huge. And I don't do them as often because they can be a little draining.
0: What drains you from that, David?
3: You know what it is, man? I want to give my most genuine self to people. That's what I want. I want to be there and I want to be present. And I don't have the capacity to fake it, to go 10 hours and then continue doing it. And obviously, I haven't done it long enough. I'm sure if I found repetition in it because with repetition comes obviously being able to form a certain reality of it but the more I do it the more I can focus on the points of the it's the person's reaction that they get from meeting their favorite character or their favorite actor in a tv show to feel like oh then this becomes some sort of Higher purpose of what I'm doing. It's not something that i that I've done, especially since the pandemic. But when I first did it, I'll tell you a, a funny story. We were in Singapore. One of my one of my co-stars, Robert Sheehan, and myself, and uh, he plays Klaus on the show. And we were in Singapore, and we were um, Andy Serkis was there, and I'm a huge fan of Planet of the Apes, and he was promoting, I believe, his Mowgli. I think it was I think it was called Mowgli. And we were all there, and then people from Narcos, House of Cards. We were they brought us all to Singapore to do this massive event. It was might have been like twelve, and it was might have been like midnight. Robert C. and we went out, we had a good time. We're coming back, and we have just a few of his friends, and we're trying to get into the hotel. And we got into the hotel, and to get into the access to the pool, it was like a pool party. We're trying to get access. Everyone needed to have house key, everyone, and so we had extra house keys, so we gave them to a few of our friends, and there was one guy that couldn't get in. And he was like, oh, you can't come in. He, can't. he was like, no, come on, dude. And thankfully, Andy was passing by with his wife. He's such, remember this, he's the loveliest guy. He passes by and he sees us. And he sees that we're struggling to get our friend. He said, like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? We're like, it's not. they're not letting us in because he doesn't have a house key. And Andy pulls out his own room key. Wow. And he gave it to us. And he said, here you go. And I remember like it. I've, I have I met this man for two days, and the fact that he just he just had such a pure heart in that moment, and he gave it to me, and I was like, dude, this guy's so cool. And he walked in, and we had a nice time. But it's one of those memories that I still, to this day, remember, like, that dude. I'll wash his car if I see him.
0: A lot of us would. Hey, David, so some big news coming out of the industry this week and last week. HBO Max cancels The Gordita Chronicles from Eva Longoria. Santo Domingo will always be home for us.
2: But only for a few more days, because we are soon going to have a gorgeous new home in Miami. If we don't go home, I'll
0: die or run away. The song said, America the beautiful. I think they oversold it. Girls, give America a chance. What do you say? Everybody here looks like Madonna, even the boys.
2: Hey, I'm Chad. Watch where you're going, fatso.
0: Fatso means gordita, gordita.
2: Here. Thanks. Got oh. two girls who have the perfect American childhood. I miss
0: a traditional Dominican breakfast. How about a traditional American one instead? Cuatro egg McMuffin. E un apple pie. What? It's fruit. Uh, okay. This is your full week's salary after taxes.
2: This feels like I'm being
0: mugged. Don't I know? For a country that calls itself land of the free, this pleasure is expensive. And then Batgirl gets executed and shelved to never see the light of day, which has a Dominican Afro Latina Batgirl. Yeah. So the word on Twitter, and you being a superhero and it's fucking difficult to get something renewed. It's some it's really fucking difficult to get something to air. And to air with for two, three seasons and then give it a shot as opposed to constantly canceling it. What are your thoughts, David? You're in a very popular show. You're living right now a very prestigious moment in your life that not others can't. They can't celebrate the way you can in the sense of Batgirl the movie was pretty much done there were seven months in Scotland and now they're not going to be able to even talk about it from your perspective how are you reading from the inside Latino stories being canceled a mile a minute man what are your friends talking about? What are your managers and agents saying about this? Have you been hearing any of it? Are you having any discussions about this? What is going on, man?
3: I, it's funny. It's funny because I'm Bill, as I'm as you're saying asking this question. I'm looking down at Lexi's. Uh, name because I'm like, I'm I'm sure Sting, don't say anything stupid, don't say anything stupid, don't say anything stupid. I, the first thing that came to mind was like the crew, dude. People yeah. spend so much of their time and especially was this was, I'm sure this was filmed during the pandemic, which is you are quarantined, you're really away from your family for so long and all you want is to see your product and what you've worked so hard for on the big screen and to feel that before that they won't be able to see that it's heartbreaking for me to think that it's as if because my i relate to like construction right you're building this massive skyscraper and before it's even done they say actually we're not even going to open it you can't even see the inside anymore and it's like it could You know, And my heart goes out to the crew and the cast and also to the lead, Leslie Grace. And I know Jacob, he's one of the leads in the show. We did a project many years ago. And yeah, I feel for him, man. I feel for him because this is, for actors specifically, you're only as good as your last gig. And this could have been a catapulting thing for the lead, for Leslie Grace. And I'm sure there'll be, because talent is talent. But it is sad, at least right now, that the spotlight is that when there's a merger happening between HBO and Discovery, which is, I know a little bit about that, is that the shows that are getting axed are the Latino show, or the Latino shows. It's like, Succession is gonna be good. Euphoria is gonna be good. Peacemaker is gonna be good. You know what I mean? And so like for every person who thought like they were gonna see a Batgirl, I hope, I really do hope that this means that if they're really looking to make spectacle movies under the DC banner, that they make this movie under a DC banner with a proper theatrical release. And even if they have to reshoot the whole thing, I don't know, but if they're going to do it right, don't, you know, don't just exit out and be like, great. We'll just, we'll bring back Wonder Woman and that's it. And it's like, not, nah, there, there's people out there that were like wanting to see this and maybe it's good, maybe it's not, but that doesn't matter. The point is like people put their hearts and souls into this and it deserves to be seen
0: at least and
3: let people have their own interpretation of it because everyone needs to have a take on this everyone because if you don't have a take you don't have a voice and to anyone that's listening that is not true all right that is not true because everyone tries to go the opposite direction just to make them make themselves feel like they're worthy of something it's not dude. don't need to do that speaking of heart and soul got to ask you about Roofers. Roofers was <laughs> Roofers was something that I created with one of my closest friends from high school and it started off as like little snippets and I barely very released them very shortly and like on YouTube and stuff like that but it was it was my own interpretation of watching Seinfeld. It's a, sh- a show about just nothing but but in the hood and uh, and what I did was with Roofers was like, "Oh, you know what? Let's shoot something where a real story between like my closest friends and my dynamic with friends that I grew up with." And uh, let's see what happens when they try to get into the weed business. Let's just see what happens. I always related it to Hanging with the Homeboys. I don't know if you guys ever yeah. seen the John Lozada film. Come on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Come on. Yeah. And so we did it, right? And it was, I, it was one of the things that I'm so passionate about. And I, I loved how it was turning out. And I needed to do a few reshoots. And my closest friend, Ricky Signs, who was one of the actors in it, when I hit him up, I was like, hey, dude, I need you to, I want to do these reshoots for just these two scenes. And he was like... Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I quit. I quit acting. <laughs> and uh, I'm in South America right now. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, man, I I did. A, I, I came for a wedding for a weekend. And uh, I had such a wonderful time that I called my bosses in LA. And I told him I quit. Wow. And I'm not moving back. I'm not going back to the United States. Wow. And I was so happy by how he found his purpose on his, I need to follow this, that I didn't bother getting angry at him for being like we have a fucking thing we have to finish (laughs) and so I I just put it on the side and I've been in talks with a few other creators and stuff about like possibly figuring out how to reframe it or to actually just recast the character to do it justice but it is in, in my opinion, it is it is my heart and soul into this project that it's starting to come back around now, especially now that like we're finished the third season and people are starting to want to collaborate and offer more things and stuff that I'm like, oh, this is something that I think a lot of people are going to really, especially because it's, I don't know, it has a deeper meaning behind it, I think, with kids and stuff, because it's very much about boys' dynamic that sometimes we don't want to talk about. because you know, I played football, right? In football, they would say like locker room talk could be very vulgar, but also locker room talk is a behavior that boys can't get around when they're outside of people. So like smacking each other in the ass. And there's some there's some homo erotica behavior that football players have in the locker room that we're not um, comfortable showing to other people. And I'm like, there's a lot of stuff that's very untouched between boys yeah. that I'd like to, Touch base on. Nice.
0: Mm. Yes, yes. We have very little time left, David, and I just wanted to ask you, season four, Umbrella Academy, is it happening? Anything that you can tell us about the next season?
3: You know what? I can't. I'm really t- they, I'm tight-lipped on... On um, if there will be a season four. I hope so. The only thing that i will be getting is like statistics from like my agents and like even the showrunner of like how well we've done even
0: 124.5 million hours in its first five days on Netflix since June twenty-second, brother. Wow. That's I'm sorry. Insane. If you're talking about algorithms, anything over a hundred is like top three. We gotta go all in on it. So From our perspective and the journalistic side, this is a done deal. I'm just shocked that there hasn't been any announcements yet.
3: Yeah, isn't it crazy though? Like also like that there's two Latinos in that project and- Genesis uh, and, and and you, yeah. And Emmy who's always black, but also like you have such a wildly different cast who is at the top, I don't know, maybe I want to say maybe like top 15 show and it's doing very well. And I'm very proud of that, man. And also I love the people that I get to work with. I really do. I really hope we come back because the people that we've been, con- oh, also not to mention Rituari, who's British Indian also. So you have a family and I hope Netflix really brings it back, man. Cause I think we have room for one more. I know Steve Blackman said he wants to do one more and he has a, a way to end it with a bang for season four, if we get fingers crossed, man.
0: Well, David, thank you so much. We appreciate your time, man. Congratulations on everything in your performance in Umbrella Academy. We hope that you're renewed for season four and we continue to see your work, not only on the small screen, but in the big screen. And we'd love to have you back, man.
3: Yeah, man, I'd love to be back, man. I have a few other things coming in on the pipeline. So when those things come up, you know, we'll do it again.
0: Absolutely, man. We would love to have you.
3: Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate you guys, man.
0: And that's it for this episode of Brown and Black. We'd like to thank David Castaneda for coming on the show. And if you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black.
2: Go to Shopify.com slash Sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Sonoro.
3: Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com.
2: Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It
0: is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?